Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If there's one common thread, it might be that men perceive church as too feminine. We have to be aggressive in the world when it's appropriate. We are warriors. One, two, three. Warriors! You are a real man when you commit to study God's word and you commit to being conformed and transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the biblical perspective on being a man. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. We're off. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. It is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, this is Wretched Radio, encouraging you to send comments, 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 and comments to idea at wretched.org. You say, hey, that's not the typical list. Usually it's questions, comments, conundrums, snarks. Indeed it is, and you can send all of those things to idea at wretched.org. But would you please send comments? I know you know stuff, and I know you hear me say stuff, and you go, you know what would have been better? You know what angle he missed on that one? Send those. In other words, be like Levi. I'm not talking about one of the 12 tribes of Israel. I'm talking about Levi, who sent a note, pretty self-explanatory. But just listen to this. This is a blessing, and this is an encouragement. This is what fellowship does. The other day, you made the comment that we never graduate from the basics. I wanted to take a moment to emphasize the profundity of that comment. Jimmy, Uh did you know that we did a profundity? I did not. Right here. (laughs) Levi said so. During my time in the Army as an infantryman, we were often reminded that the Rangers and Special Forces weren't elite fighting groups because they had special access to tactics, knowledge, or technology, but rather they were elite fighters because they practiced the basics, the same tactics we lowly grunts knew on constant repeat. Hearing you say we never graduate from the basics of our Christian faith rang in my head like a puzzle piece suddenly falling into place. If I know that to be true in the physical world, how much truer in the spiritual? It, it, it honestly reduces the stress of being a father of four young children in this mad world we live in. Just teach them the basics. Then when you're done, reinforce the basics. And then... Talk about the basics. And that's what we can be doing with our kids. That's what we should be doing with our kids. Yep, sometimes kids can give Sunday school answers, and it's kind of amusing. But that's that's actually a good thing, that we're drubbing Jesus into their brains, that we are constantly saying, it's the Bible. Go to the Bible. You need the Bible to figure things out. And we need to teach them correct anthropology. We ain't good people at all. Look at us. And we observe that in others. And we see it in ourselves when we look in the mirror and our consciences and our guilt. We are bad people. And God is good. And he ain't happy with bad people. But he's rich in mercy. And he sent his son, who is good, to live the life that we don't and die the death we should, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, so that sinners could be reconciled to the glory of God the Father. Over 
and over and over and over again. Drill those basics. Thus saith Levi, because he sent a comment to idea at wretched.org, just like you should. Is that it? That's your cue. Okay, that's it. All right. So we're you gonna- are so Pavlovian. <laughs> Even as I was saying it, I realized I wasn't going to end the sentence by saying idea at wretched.org. Like, Is he going to get it? Should I have a little bell? You should. He should. Just ring it. And that, that's that's your cue. Thank you. All right. <laughs> I got you. We start with Cynthia. Mm-hmm. Dot, how do I know if I'm trusting Jesus for my salvation or if I just enjoy watching others who have trusted Jesus for salvation. You will know that you're saved because the Bible tells you so. <sighs> Jimmy, do you remember when we offered gospel assurance to to give away a copy of that book? It, Mike Abendroth, the pastor in Boylston, I believe, in Massachusetts, he compiled a bunch of Puritan writings on the subject of assurance. Because we've recognized this is this is an issue that is so common for folks, and I think we thought, well, maybe we'll you know give away a hundred or two hundred books. Was it seven hundred books, something like that? It was a lot. Yeah, and it was. Well, you can only get it if you're struggling with assurance. It's a common issue, and it is almost certain every single time it is your eyesight that is the problem. You're looking in the wrong direction. You need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. You need to stare at him with unveiled face. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. You say, well, but I'm worried about me and my my salvation. I'm telling you, stop looking at you. You will forever find sufficient grounds to declare yourself guilty and not saved. Study him. Look at him. Consider him. What did he do? What does he promise? What did he accomplish? Did he not do miracles? Did he not raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind? Did he not walk on water? Did he himself not rise from the dead? Didn't he with an actual human body ascend into heaven? Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. So if you're struggling with assurance and you're, you're asking questions like, well, how do I know it's this versus that? I, I, I would give you the exact same answer. Stop looking at yourself and even stop looking at others. Focus on the source of your salvation. Remember, your salvation is outside of you. It is not inside of you. I was, I was once talking to a fellow who said, I'm just not sure that I'm saved because you know, I, I've, I've gone through seasons where I've got kind of a jolt for the Lord and then it kind of wanes. And, and right now it's like I realize I really have been straying and I, and I want to be obedient. But I don't know that I'm saved because of my past performance. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't identify the Bible verses that say, yes, indeed, it is good that you examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Those, those verses are there. Furthermore, there is fruit in keeping with repentance. That is there. But my question to this young man is, well, then tell me, how long do you think you need to stay on the path before you will have assurance? And his answer was mm, six months, maybe a year. Bingo, there's the problem right there. You think that your ability to stay on the path is what identifies your salvation. In other words, where what is the locus of your salvation? It's inside of you. 
It's outside of you. It's in Christ. Look to him. Look to him. And I'll even go this far. If you're in a season of lacking assurance, stop fruit counting. Just stop. Stop. You don't need you're you're doing enough of it. You're counting the fruit too much. Why? Because it's you that you're looking at. Spend a season looking at Jesus and you watch your assurance grow. Ding. <laughs> okay. So that's next, right? Uh, this is this is the only thing that I got for you. Uh, Will that do? Yeah, that works. I can't find a bell. <laughs> the only thing I can find near bell is beg. The thing is a total dog's breakfast. I, I next <laughs> to bell I can find this. Uh, Beating a dead horse. <laughs> yeah. I ain't got no bell for you. All I got is a buzzer. Okay. All right. Well, that means we're moving on. This one's from Anonymous. <laughs> is it sinful to be addicted to something like coffee or water even? I looked up the definition of addiction, which is the compulsive physiological need mm-hmm. for and use of a habit-forming substance. Yeah. What yeah. say you? I, I say you look at a different dictionary. That, that's man's understanding of a word that is a man-made word, addiction, which has so many implications. You're powerless to it. It's merely a chemical thing. Look to the Bible. What does the Bible say about our affections? Can you enjoy something? Of course you can. How do I know? Because the Father of Lights is the giver of every good gift. It's okay to enjoy stuff. All right. You like coffee. All right, now you need to do a biblical examination, not an addiction test. The question is, why do I need that coffee so much? Is it just just that I simply enjoy it and I thank God for every single cup that I guzzle down? Or am I just, am I not getting enough rest and I needed to give me a little zip? Okay, well, then you need to make some adjustments with that. Is my heart more fond of the fruit than the one who provides it? It's a hard issue. It, and could there be a physiological component where you know the caffeine, you are, quote, addicted to that? Sure. But even then, I wouldn't say that that means it's a sin. It just, it means you need to examine your heart. Do I love this thing rightly? Does it have its right place in my life? What are the order of my affections? And even as I joy, enjoy a cup of Lavazza coffee, why am I doing it? You can love the coffee. Just love the one who gave it to you more. The Heart of Addiction, a book by Mark Shaw, would be very helpful. If, you, if you've got something, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, coffee, soap operas, whatever it is, you've got to identify what the object of your affection is. Is it non-sinful? Is it sinful? And then you've got to ask, is my connection to it sinful or non-sinful. And if it turns out it's a non-sinful thing, and it's, it's not a sin in your heart, then bottoms up, preferably with Italian sweet cream. This is Wretched Radio. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare dot com slash wretched affordable biblical health 
sharing, Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. So I have a question. Do you love and appreciate the content we produce here at Wretched? I hope that answer is yes. And if it is, have you ever considered becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner? It's only because of the kindness and generosity of our gospel partners that allow us to together spread the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ all over the world to millions of people. So if you're not already an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel Partner, could I ask you to prayerfully consider becoming one? Think about what your life might look like as a gospel partner. We're simply asking for your prayerful consideration. Make sure you're not in debt. Make sure you're giving to your local church first and foremost. And if those areas are covered and you could join our mission to reach millions with the gospel, then of course, we welcome you with open arms. If you have questions, we have answers. Wretched.org slash donate is the place to find them. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well, then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Important dates in Christian history. 1559. John Knox returns to Scotland to lead Reformation there after a period of exile in Calvin's Geneva. Knox founded the Presbyterian Church, which became a driving force in English politics and the American Revolution. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Let's see if we can make Jimmy's head explode, shall we? This is Wretched Radio. Hey, if you have not yet watched the Ray Comfort YouTube video on our Wretched page, please Get there, lickety-split. You will enjoy, wow, an inside look at Ray Comfort, 90 Minutes, Breaking Bread on the YouTube channel. How you doing, Jimmy? I, I don't know what to do. I know, see, I, I rang your bell while I was talking, and you wanted to start talking, but I was talking. I thought that might cause a little bit of confusion up there. Please send whatever to idea at wretched.org. All right, this is from Diane. She says, Todd, in your opinion, does the local church have the authority to tell me to marry a specific person? Mm-hmm. 
What was I doing? Well, my immediate mm was, what does my gut say? Because I've got a reaction. You probably had a reaction to that question. But guess what? I want to lose my gut. I do not want to let my sense of things dictate if something is right or wrong. Instead, I want to practice hermeneutical principles in rendering a decision on something, whether something is right or wrong. You say, wait a second, determining if something is right or wrong, can a church tell you who to marry? Historical, grammatical, interpretive principles are going to help me with that in so much as the first step in studying the Bible is losing your pre-understandings. There's a distinction between pre-understandings and presuppositions. My presuppositions and yours should not waver, ever. I'm not going to change my tune about the Trinity, that Jesus Christ, he became flesh, lived a perfect life, died so that I might be forgiven by God, rose from, I ain't wavering on that. Those are my presuppositions. My pre-understandings, however, are things like, how should the church be structured? Well, I think I kind of, what do I even think about an important secondary issue, potentially essential issue, but let's just say baptism or mode of baptism. Yeah, I think I got it sorted, but if I'm going to let the text speak and determine what that verse says and what is the right understanding of that particular system of theology, I lose mine, my, my pre-understanding. I just, I just set them aside. They don't have to go anywhere. Just set them aside for a moment and I let the Bible speak. You say, what does that have to do with answering the question, can the church tell me who to marry? I got a gut on that. My gut is no. Now that's my, when you ask the question, my immediate response is no. But I'm not the authority. The Bible is. So I'm going to set aside my gut and I'm going to go do a survey of the Bible in my noggin. And then I'm going to dig in if necessary. So I'm I'm literally, I started, okay, marriage, I started running my, my noodle through the Old Testament. Do we see, now I know the church is in Israel. My, I get that. Old Testament priests, modern day elders and shepherds, that different thing. I got that. But do I even see an Old Testament priest playing the role of matchmaker? Nope, I don't. Okay. Do I ever see parents involved? Um, yeah, actually, I think there's a couple of historical narratives that would tell me that. But is that prescriptive or descriptive? It seems kind of descriptive because I can't think of another verse in the Old Testament that says it is the role and the authority of the parent to pick their child's spouse. Can they? Sure. Must they? No. Could a child say, oh, mom and dad, I love you to pieces, and I sure do respect your wisdom, but I don't think that you have that authority. I'm supposed to leave my father and mother and cleave to this person. Uh, so I'm, I'm running through the Old Okay, New Testament. Do I see Jesus speaking any words about the church's authority to play yenta? The epistles. Okay, wait, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. We got something here in 2 Corinthians 6. We've got an instruction that says you should not marry somebody who's not a believer. Okay. Does the church have the authority to uphold that command in the Bible? Yes. Yes, it does. And so a pastor could say to a parishioner, hey, I see you're dating a pagan. The Bible forbids that. And you need to change now this relationship because. Oh, Jimmy, I heard something really helpful. This is this is this was really good. If you're trying to find a spouse, you're going to love this illustration. You're in an airport. You're looking for a spouse. If 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 you're if you're out there 
in, in, in the terminal looking for just anybody to get onto an airplane with, you're making a very big mistake. You got to go to the gate. What do you find at the gate? Christians. So that's good. You found Christians at the gate. But hold on. Before you get on the plane, you need to make sure that that Christian is headed in the same direction. Because if they say they're a Christian, but their destiny isn't really Celestial City, you're going to be going in opposite directions and you're both going to crash. Huh? Huh? Pretty good. In other words, pick a believer. Make sure that they're genuinely saved. And the church would have the authority to say, you're going to sin. You're going to sin. In fact, now some pastors would do the marriage anyway, but some pastors might say, I can't do that. I'd be participating in a sin. So with 2 Corinthians 6, doing my little survey as best I can about the subject of marriage, the authority of the church, I'm thinking of the role of the rebuke, uh, uh, exhort, educate, pick a spouse. I, I'm not seeing that. So I think that's the authority to tell you not to marry a particular person. But I just don't see anything that indicates that the church can pick the person you marry. So then, based on my understanding of the Bible, and if I'm really going to be wise, I'll go ask other people about their wisdom about the Bible. If they see a verse that I don't think of, because I don't think of most verses when I'm thinking about the Bible, you would do, do well to get that wisdom that is biblical. But at the moment, I would conclude, nope. I don't think the Bible gives the church the authority to play eHarmony.com. Jimmy, can you think of anything? No, no. I think it does quite the opposite than than that. I think it, you know, other than saying who not to marry, I think it encourages, you know, marry who you want. Uh, I, yeah, but with the biblical criteria. Right. No, yeah, right, and right. And get wisdom from your church. But I, I just, if we're talking about authority here, I don't think the church has that authority to determine who you pick. Idea at Re- you got a verse? Send it. Idea at wretched.org. Uh, this is from Anonymous. Uh, uh, Todd, my church is solid theologically, but every now and then our pastor preaches on tithing 10% so God can bless the other 90%. He also says this opens our household to the Lord's protection over our relationships and possessions. Mm. I find this to be prosperity oriented and wondered if I'm sinning by questioning it. No, you're not. No, no, no. You're being a Berean. You're commanded to test all things. So you're doing the opposite of sinning. You're being obedient. (laughs) So what about a pastor? Did I hear you correctly? Overall solid, but this issue, wonky. Right. Um, I I would say that's on the face of it, uh, just based on on the level of of what it is. And no, no, I I don't think that's like, I'm going to leave because of that. Now, having said that, I sure would want to explore that because that's that's being pretty off on something, and it's making promises on something that the Bible just doesn't promise. The Bible never commanded a mere 10%, ever. Old Testament tithes were taxes to the tune of about 23 and a third percent. And then you gave from the heart. Then you made offerings. Then you gave to the temple out of the heart. And that is exactly what 2 Corinthians 8 through 10 reiterates. Give from the heart, give from the heart, give from the heart. Why didn't Paul say, hey, when you're doing your 10%, take 2% of it. I'm going to take that and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and give it to the church that's struggling there. No, give from the heart. And so, first of all, I don't think a pastor 
who preaches the 10% tithe is a heretic. When a pastor then starts saying, if you don't give 10%, the rest of your money ain't going to be protected, that's just not biblical. Uh, that, that's, or you'll be blessed. That is the prosperity gospel. And because that has all kinds of implications to it, then I would say, even though on the face of it, being off on tithe teaching, you, you could live with that. But I would dig deeper into that. And I would actually want to understand, how did you arrive at that conclusion? Could you explain your hermeneutic to me? What teacher did you study to come up with that conclusion? Let's just go take a look at the Bible together about these promises that you claim the Bible makes, and you measure it by Scripture. And you might discover um, that would be a big enough issue. I think I'm right in saying, on the face of it, probably not time to go, especially if you don't have any other options. He's solid on everything, everything else. But it's not just a little bit off on something. It's big enough that I would say it's probably worth exploring. It could be enough smoke that underneath it, there is some sort of hermeneutical fire that is making its way into other theologies. So I would encourage you, I would actually say you need to check that out. You need to respectfully sit down with your pastor and be willing, set aside your pre-understandings, hopefully he sets aside his, and then dive into the Bible and see where that man is coming from. And if it's just, well, you know, this is this is just what I think the Bible teaches and that's the extent of it. I, I don't think that that would be like a valid excuse to leave unless it becomes abusive, unless it becomes threatening. But there could be more going on, and you should discover if there is. Idea at Wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, some good news coming out of the state of Tennessee and Kentucky, where it seems a federal appeals court has just upheld bans on so-called medical interventions like puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and permanent surgery on transgender youth. Of course, the ACLU is predictably calling it a devastating ruling, but I'd say it's a tremendous win for protecting our youth. I mean, there are judges that do rightly recognize that pumping minors full of experimental drugs and performing irreversible surgeries on them, that just might be a bad idea. Even the Dutch euthanasia advocates say they don't allow gender surgeries on minors in the Netherlands, and we all know the Dutch is just about as liberal as they come when it comes to progressive ideas. But in Tennessee and Kentucky, right now at the moment, it seems there's a little bit of common sense. And judges know that kids don't need their healthy bodies mutilated in the name of gender identity. But I can't say that I'm not proud of my home state for standing up to the cultural Marxists and their insidious, insidious agenda. That's probably the first time in my life I've actually used that word, and I wanted to. I used it twice. Insidious, and there's the third time. Hopefully other states will start to follow suit. Well, it seems there's a bit of a discipline problem going on at some schools in Oregon. In particular, one gender-confused boy wearing a dress apparently assaulted a girl in the bathroom. And naturally, instead of disciplining the young man, the enlightened school administrators just transferred him to another school. Where, surprise, surprise, he assaulted another girl. Now, that worked out nicely for them, didn't it? Nothing like enabling violent behavior under the guise of tolerance. Ah, make no mistake about it, folks. This radical gender ideology, 
nothing more than an attempt to erase womanhood itself. And it's something that should concern all of us. Uh, young women are the ones that are suffering these consequences. And mark my words, if we don't put a stop to this, we will have a generation of boys growing up thinking it's their right to abuse girls. And a generation of girls growing up not even knowing what it means to be a girl. More disturbing reports are coming out of Mozambique where Islamic terrorists have been ruthlessly attacking Christians, well, for years now. Just this past week, jihadists slaughtered 11 more Christians in a village, and survivors of the attack say that the jihadists separated Christians from the Muslims before opening fire. Absolutely horrific. Yet our media, our mainstream media, barely makes a peep about the genocide of Christians happening right under our noses and all over the world. And that's why we tell you daily, it seems like, to please make sure that you continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters abroad. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. Mark was a follower of Christ, traveling companion of Paul, an associate of Peter. His gospel presents Jesus as the Son of God. Here, Jesus is the perfect example of self-sacrifice, the suffering servant who died as a ransom for our sins. When you suffer for obedience to Christ, do not be ashamed, for Christ suffered and died for our disobedience. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. When you think wretched, think idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. You're on the internet. You stumble into an article. It's a sermon, a YouTube video, and you go, that's wretched. Send it to idea at wretched.org. All right. This first question is from Nathan. Todd, what are your thoughts on presuppositional apologetics? Some proponents argue it's the only valid approach because of Romans 1, saying people already know God exists. They also point out that the Bible doesn't rely on the evidence for God. On the flip side, it seems the early church didn't use this method and it only gained traction in the 1800s. So should we use it exclusively? in moderation, along with evidentiary, evidentiary apologetics, or avoid it altogether. Let me just maybe turn the presuppositional table for a moment. In, in very basic form, presuppositionalism is that the presupposition in every human heart is that God exists. Therefore, you do not need to use apologetics. In fact, you shouldn't use apologetics, some presupps would say, because they already know, and you're answering a fool and becoming a fool just like him. And the reason that I want to turn the tables on this is because you could have a reasonable debate about whether or not the Bible ever uses apologetics. For instance, I would say Psalm 19, the first six verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day, they speak without saying a word. So creation proves there's a creator. Now, the precept would argue, well, that's just a proof text for using the cosmological argument, but that doesn't say that we're supposed to do that. Fair enough. My point is that you could debate if the Bible ever uses what we would consider historical apologetics. Secondarily, I would say the history that was just represented, it's kind of accurate, but not entirely. Uh, the comment was either the 1800s, was it the 1800s or the 18th century we saw a proliferation of apologetics? 1800s, yeah. 18, that's, that's true. I would say 1600 to 1800s, actually. You did see a, a 
great effort by theologians to have the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the moral argument. Why? Why do we see that so much in, in that 200-year time period? Well, we call that the age of reason, the age of enlightenment, and there were assaults on the existence of God. And so theologians, seeing the need of the day, they marshaled up the arguments for the existence of God. But does that mean we never saw apologetics before? Thomas Aquinas would say, hello, hello, I, hello. Uh, did the early church, uh, the answer is, I don't know, but I'm not going to make my decision about how I evangelize somebody based exclusively on my historical overview of how the church used or didn't use apologetics. So here would, here would be my turning of the tables. My question would be, where in the Bible does it insist that you don't let somebody ask questions because they already know that God exists? And I know the answer to that question. They would say Romans 1. You got it right there. Don't answer a proverb. Don't answer a fool or you become like him. Okay. Now, does that is that enough to say that I can never use any sort of apologetical argument about the existence of God? And personally, I don't believe it is. Now, that doesn't mean that those truisms are not true. Everybody knows that God exists, but they just suppress that truth and unrighteousness. And if you've got some fool, yeah, well, Richard Dawkins says that, engage with that, you become a fool. But we also have Proverbs that say there are times to engage a fool. Presuppositionalism says don't let him do it, and you don't do it. Don't use any of the classical apologetical arguments to prove the existence of God. He doesn't need proving because everybody knows anyway. Now, this plays itself out typically in the realm of morality. And I, just for the record, I use presuppositionalism. I think it's an arrow in the evangelistic, it's a quiver, it's the quiver that holds the arrow. That's it. So the one of the arrows of evangelism is indeed presuppositionalism. But I prefer to use it as an option and not the only way to evangelize somebody. And there's two reasons for it. Number one, I don't think there's biblical support for that. Number two, I, I, I've seen the frustration that comes from it. It typically sounds something like this. It usually has to do with morality, judgment, values, standards, that it's a, it's about a moral argument. Like, uh, do, you th do you think that uh, genocide was wrong? Well, you can't because you don't believe in an objective moral lawgiver. Therefore, you can't say anything is wrong. And you can stay on that track and you can beat that nail into the wood. And all I've seen that do is agitate people. I, I oh, did you just say the Bible is wrong? You can't say that because your worldview doesn't support it because you don't believe in the existence of God. So stop using moral arguments. Stop using making moral judgments. And all that does is agitate somebody to the core. That doesn't mean I don't use it, but I don't use it exclusively. Do I think somebody's a heretic if they do? No, I don't. But I would challenge the pure presuppositionalist. Oh, 
What's what is the response that you're getting from people? Because if you really stick with just presuppositionalism, you might never get to the gospel. You might never get there because you're just constantly, nope, can't go that far. Nope, you can't use that. You can't jump into the Christian car to drive me over a cliff. Nope, you can't do that. And all the person does is like, just stop that. I want to say what I want to say here. Nope, you don't have the right to that opinion because you don't believe in an objective moral lawgiver. And it just, it just ends up frustrating. Use it. Use it sparingly. And I suspect my pre-sub friends are going to send emails to idea at wretched.org to correct me. And I welcome that, too. All right. This next one is from Caitlin. Todd, I recently attended a Christian comedy show where they used uh, one of the breaks to promote sponsoring a child in Haiti. While I'm sympathetic to the cause, I felt a bit manipulated by the emotional tactics and the use of scripture like the least of these. What's the balance in the desire to serve those in need, but also not feeling like I'm not a Christian if I opt out of well, a specific program yeah, like yeah, this? Yeah, well, that, that, okay, that sort of approach, that's not right uh, to cudgel somebody. Now, like, for, for instance, it might sound a little something like this. If you do not become a financial supporter of the Tomorrow Clubs, uh, children in Eastern Europe are going to never hear the gospel and uh, their blood is on your hands. Prove you're a real Christian by supporting Tomorrow. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, any version of that even softened up, that just is not the way that God wants us to support other ministries. It's from the heart. What do you want to do? And there are plenty of options for you. Choose those things. And if you've got an organization that's willing to go over that biblical line into the realm of coercion or questioning your salvation or how good of a Christian you are if you don't, uh, danger, Will Robinson, danger. So, for instance, I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. See what I'm doing here, Jimmy? <laughs> it's a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty. And I asked, now this is Eastern Europe, so we're talking about a different economy. We're talking about it's Zimbabwe, one of the poorest nations in the world along with places like Albania and Moldova. And it said, in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats, they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones that are volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? Because if you don't sponsor 30, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry. I blew it right at the end. <laughs> I had it going on. Idea at wretched.org. Oh, you're done name dropping. Uh, this is from Paul. Uh, Todd, what's going to prevent us from sinning in heaven? God. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> the atoning work of Jesus. It, it's it's funny. People have this concern. I'll be the, because I'll be, if anybody's going to sin in heaven, it's going to be me. You, you've got Jesus' word. 
when he saves you, you have everlasting life. Boom. That is the end of it. You don't need to go any further. It, it doesn't say everlasting life asterisk unless, of course, you sin in heaven. Besides, just if we do want to go further, you're going to see sin as exceedingly sinful like you never have before. You're going to see it as the dog vomit that the Bible describes that it actually is. You're not going to want it. Every, you are going to fully live for the first time when you are greeted by Jesus Christ for eternity, and you're not going to want to sin. And you have Jesus' word, you won't. This is Wretched Radio. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10,000 people responded to the gospel. I was very unsure of what I was doing when I came in. And by the end of the appointment, Rosemary had talked to me. She had actually prayed with me because she had asked me, like, do you know about Jesus? Because I was telling her, I don't feel like God's going to forgive me for this one. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound and Preborn Ministries uses good equipment, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with Preborn. Please consider supporting Preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Have you ever wondered what happens when you take two colossal, gigantic Christian personalities like Ray Comfort and Todd Friel, and you put them together at the same table at the same time while they break bread? <laughs> well, they're not going to start a food fight, though. That would be pretty interesting to watch. No, it's actually the latest breaking bread where you'll have the opportunity to meet the real Ray Comfort. If you've ever wondered if Ray Comfort is really that kind, is he really that nice, or is he just saving it all up for the camera? Well, here's your backstage pass to find out. It's available right now on the Wretched Network YouTube channel. Call everyone you know, call your pastor, call your grandma, and probably also your pet fish because let's be honest, they need the gospel too. Available right now on the Wretched Network YouTube channel. Breaking bread with Ray Comfort. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Bridegroom, 
Christians are waiting for Christ's return, which the book of Revelation describes as the wedding of the Lamb. Christ will come to usher His bride, His church, into eternity with Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Wretched Radio. That is the number of the old toll-free where you can call and leave a message or send a text with questions, comments, conundrum. Uh, Wait a second. Don't tell me. Uh, do you realize how involved this actually is? No, I, I, I don't. I didn't either. This until is I, the 21st century. Oh, you push a button. You would think. That's all it takes. <laughs> you would think. How many 1-800 numbers do you text? We, we, this isn't like an <laughs> Elon Musk project. I We're think, trying to send a rocket to Mars. I think it is. <laughs> Ah, that's the sound of disappointment. I hear please, that daily. Because you've got teenagers. Please don't <laughs> add to my chagrin by not calling one 282 Hello, Todd and handsome, handsome Jimmy Hicks. Two handsomes? Uh, well, what is going on during the news broadcast? What am I missing here? I have an RADS child. If you are not familiar with what that means, it's called reactive attachment disorder. It is the clinical term that psychologists have coined to describe the trauma and the effects of a child who was separated from parents, whether it is in the infant years, teenage years, that is a traumatic event and it leaves scars to varying degrees. And um, it's very challenging sometimes. I'm going to join the chorus of the many people that are just begging for resources. Got to stop right there. Um, you just heard understatement. It's more than challenging. Here, you, you try to imagine this dynamic, and and this might might help you as an adoptive parent. And this is gonna this is gonna sound um, hard, maybe, or counter to your attitude toward adopting a child or the children that you've adopted. You've got a mom and dad. They've decided they wanted to add to their family for whatever reason. They want to do it. They want to have a portrayal of the gospel. They want to just love on this kid. They want to take maybe somebody who's from a disadvantaged situation and give them opportunities. And they want them to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And they want to love this child as their own. Enter the RAD adopted child. Remember, varying shades. But the traumatic wound, the primal wound that happens in a child is such that they resist the very love that parents want to lavish on them. So here's what you got. You've, you've got these parents and they, they, the bio kids, they're just, oh, we can't wait. We want to bring this. We just want to smother them with love. And then you've got this child who enters into this dynamic, who sees love as the most dangerous emotion, loving actions as the most potentially hazardous behavior that you can perform. Why? Because the RAD kid was traumatized via separation from mom and dad. No matter how it was done, good, bad, or otherwise, there was a traumatic event that took place and they were heartbroken. They were crushed. Furthermore, if it was a kid who was in an orphanage overseas, they called out for big people. They were cold. They, they do what the kids, the butt babies do. They cry. And the big people don't come. And then their diaper is filled. 
and they cry and the big people don't come. They're hungry and they cry and the big people don't come. Those big people are terrible. And if I let myself get close to one of them, they're going to hurt me again. Do you feel the tension in that dynamic? There it is. We're going to love you like crazy. I'm going to make you hate me so that I'm not in danger. And that's the dynamic. And that's why the church needs to undergird every adoptive family in a major way. Major way. And I'm going to offer this to the mom and dad who are, off, who are looking at adopting a child. I remember, I, just, I, I remember talking to so many parents. We just want to love them as our own. And it doesn't feel right. It just, it, it, it just isn't happening exactly right. Adoption is great, but might I, mom and dad, that expectation of that same feeling as you would have with bio kids, it can be great, but it's not the same. Okay? They're, they're both great, but they're not the same. So let yourself off the hook if you're not feeling the way that you imagine that you should be feeling. And that's compounded then with a child who's resisting you like crazy. Understand, Rads, so that you don't think that it's you. Now the question is, well, how do you deal with a kid like that? Especially for fathers on how to help these kids. Yeah. I've got a specific question for you. Um, yeah. I guess it's more general now that I think about it. How do I raise this child up in the training and admonition of the Lord and yet not make them feel like there's someone who's less preferred in our family or not loved as much as the other siblings? There are two separate issues. You just love on those kids. You do your best to love on them, understanding it's not going to be the same emotional dynamic, but you just love on them. You show them the love of Christ and, and you can show them parental love as much as you can, remembering it's different than a than a bio love. I, I just too many too many adoptive parents pistol whip themselves. They just do. I don't I don't feel the same that well, it's not exactly the same, but that doesn't mean you can't love them to pieces. That's one realm. But raising up your child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That that means that the child might actually be pushing themselves out and, 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 and signaling that they're different than everybody else. You're not, but they are through their behavior. So you, for instance, here's the issue, discipline. You, you, it's like, well, I want to do what the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. So I'm getting on it. I'm going to use the wooden spoon. But wait a second. I know with a rad kid, if I use the wooden spoon, that that kid is actually going to love it. Because that's what the kid wants, an expression of anger, an expression of hatred, an expression of not love. Because if I let that big person love me, I am in danger, Will Robinson, and I will never be scalded like that again. So I'm going to do everything to make you not love me. That's the RAD kid. So you then reason in your head, so if I spank him, I'm feeding into that narrative. What do I do? You do what the Bible says. You just do what the Bible says. And you need to understand whether bio or adopted kid, a kid can be treated differently. They, they can, not as a sub-member of the family, but don't confuse that with the individual not setting themselves outside of the family. We see this in Proverbs with the level of fools, that their behavior is so bad, it is so uncorrectable that the parents actually have permission to set the kid out. Now, does that mean that you're not treating the kid the same way? Yeah. But it's not because you're showing favoritism or adoption is less than bio. 
No, it's because of the behavior of that individual. So maybe keeping your categories straight would be helpful. Just do what the Bible says, spank them lovingly, never in anger. But that applies whether it's adopted kid, bio kid, that's always the way that it should be administered. So do what the Bible says. And if their behavior uh, sets them outside, they get treated differently. For instance, for instance, you might have an, a, a rad kid who is so disruptive on family outings. You, you can't have any joy when, when you're out and about. Could you have somebody from your church watch the adopted child while you go with the others who are behaving well? Notice I didn't say bio kid. The kids, because it could be an adopted kid, they're behaving well. You can have joy and you can have good times with them like families can and should. So it's not just identifying the adopted child. It's the behaviorally challenging child that you're treating differently because of the way that they're behaving. Don't feel guilty if you do that. Don't feel guilty about that. You're, you're not, you're, the only reason that you might be feeling like you're showing favoritism is simply because of your emotions. If you're not familiar with anybody in your church who was adopted, get to know them. And um, I'll, I'll even challenge it a step further. Let these adoptive parents tell you what's going on without judging them. They're in a dynamic that is super funky and it's super frustrating. I have been with weeping parents of adopted kids, weeping because of the difficulties of it. I, I've seen people sell their businesses and move in an effort to get to a place where maybe the, the child can't wreak havoc in the community or at the school. And, 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 and to varying degrees, please note, varying degrees, they're just, it's hard. And the church needs to be there. And I would say this to you, Dan, stay in the game. Remember your priorities. Make sure you're feeding your soul. Job number one. Number two, it's your wife. Protect her. Make sure your marriage is strong. Three, the kids who are performing in a way that that allows them to enjoy the privilege of the familial covenant. And then if you've got one who's, who's being so damaging and so uh, violent and so troublesome, yeah, you don't feel guilty for treating them differently. It's not based on their position in the family. It's it's based on their behavior, and the Bible therefore allows you to treat them differently. That's why you see four different levels of fools, and you treat them differently based on their foolishness. And keep your marriage strong. Protect your wife. Protect your wife. They want to wedge you and break you and divide you because that's safe for them. Don't let them do it. And in doing that, and in being biblical, you will bless them. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.